JB around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2u.org. I'm Jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from Indonesia is the author of Let's Get Biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? Volumes 1 and 2. You can get a copy on Amazon. You can get a copy from his website, outreachjudaism.org. That's outreachjudaism.org. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tovia Singer. Hey, great to be here. Nice to have you back, my friend. Now, Always we're missing- a pleasure. We're missing Jason because it's uh, from what I see on the news, uh, Ireland's been getting a little bit more than their fair share of rain, and uh, there's a few floods around. And uh, in any case, Jason's caught a cold, so he's not joining us. And I hope he gets better soon. And we'll probably speak to him next week. But uh, we have been talking about, and in fact, we started last week just talking about the tour that we did, the Tanakh tour. Uh, we're doing it again next year, uh, November next year, 2016. Uh, Tanakh tour, but uh, we kicked off the tour by going to the Diaspora Museum. That was followed up by Jaffa Port, which we did talk about last week. But I just wanted to touch on the Diaspora Museum, Tobu, because uh, as you put it, you uh, called it the Museum of the Jews on the Run. Yeah, it's uh, it was very deeply moving for me. And it's also, uh, what well, first, what the Diaspora Museum is, it's... Um, it's a museum that was built, what, some 35 years ago. It's, it's considered one of the most innovative museums in the world. It traces all of Jewish exiles for the last 2,000 years. There are some that point to events of the exiles earlier, but of the last 2,000 years. So it was very, very moving. And sometimes, and, and very traumatic because the story of the Jewish exile for 2,000 years in many cases is very painful. So it's always been for me to observe it uh, something that just is sometimes some of the images that you see there of Titus's Ark, the and so on is is ghastly because you're looking at the destruction of Jerusalem and then the the life of Jewish people all around the world and different communities around the world and how Jews had had to confront all the trauma that they endured mm. throughout their history. Throughout mm. history. And, and and of course not just being uh, kicked out of the land of Israel but being chased around in in the other places where they went, being chased out of, if you like, and and it documents that, and it's a very good presentation. And uh, when when we think of the the diaspora, Jews uh, outside of the land, uh, I guess we we first think of the ten tribes of Israel being exiled by the Assyrians, followed by the northern tribe, sorry, the southern tribes, uh, uh, Judah, being exiled by uh, the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar, and the next one that comes to mind, at least in my mind, is is CE 70, when the Romans came and destroyed the temple. Are they the three major events, Tobia? Yeah, although the the first two events, the when the ten northern tribes were carried off, it was traumatic, but they lived. Um, the um, the destruction of the f- first temple, the Jewish people almost as a complete unit went to Babylon, with the exception of a few went to Egypt. The, when you talk about the destruction of the second temple, that's completely different. That was uh, virtually a holocaust. I mean, mm-hmm. 
the the amount of destruction and death, and that the Jews, in, unlike the destruction of the first temple, did not go to a single place, but was spread throughout the Roman Empire, had lost everything, was shattered. They didn't, you know, when the Jews from the first temple went to Babylon, so they already had institutions that had been built there by prophets. Mm-hmm. So And life was so, we know this because we have the, first-hand record of Jews in the uh, describing life in Babylon as being spectacular and, uh, and but knowing very well that the lives of their brethren in the in the Roman Empire was horrible so the Babylonian Jews knew how awful it was for Jews who lived in the land of Israel and other parts of the um, in throughout the Roman Empire and they wrote about that, how how aware they were of it, you know. And during the time of the the Babylonian time was being written, Jews were had to endure, you know, Constantine. You know that they were enduring, yeah, right. complete yeah. hell. And that's what's so. That's one of the things that was very very remarkable about this museum. It's tracing Jewish life for two thousand years. One of the things that I'm always very taken by at that museum, and that's the museum which really launched the tour, mm-hmm. was how did Jews cope with uh, life in diaspora and the different ideas that um, that were sparked by the anti-Semitism, such this as... Is, well, before you just continue, sure. that's, it's really interesting that you bring that up because we are, of course, record the time that we are recording right now, it is, of course, Hanukkah. And Hanukkah is all about the struggle against assimilation. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Okay, it, so, yeah. so now this is the struggle that continues even more so, I suppose, or maybe not more so, but, well, no, I guess it is. When you're, when you're pushed out of the land into you know, all the places that we've gone, there is that constant struggle against assimilation, and how did they deal with that? Please continue. Yeah, uh, that's a very critical point. The Romans is like in Daniel's vision, were everything. The, 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 by the time by the time they destroyed the second temple in the year seventy, Vespasian was the emperor of Rome. Titus, who would later become the emperor, was his general. The arc arc we are talking about is dedicated to Titus. Mm-hmm. Soon after his death, I think it was built in eighty eighty probably eighty one or eighty two. So it was built in memory. We know it because he's called a god, and all the emperors became gods following the, their death. But the the story of Hanukkah is not all about destruction of the Jews physically or expelling them out of their land. That was not at all what was of interest to the Syrian Greek empire called the Seleucid Empire Mm -hmm. of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. His interest was to completely ban, destroy Judaism and Hellenize the people of Israel. And he he was really the first person to ever do this and to make it forbidden to study Torah, to circumcise mm-hmm. your sons, and so on and so forth. Well, but let's really be so on and so forth. Let's be specific. I mean, it was, uh, it was he forbade circumcision. He forbade the, the observance of Shabbat. He, he forbade uh, eating clean. He, he sacrificed uh, to idols yeah. and made, and oh, made yeah. the leaders of, of the Jewish people do the same. I mean, there was a myriad of, of absolute abominations that, and 
uh, pig's blood and so on and so forth. This is what he stood for. Yeah, yeah. He brought the image of Zeus, a statue of Zeus, mm. into the temple itself in 167 BC and slaughtered, and slaughtered a pig on the altar of the temple. And, of course, this all, he heightened it. He was, like, he's called the first anti-Semite in a very strict sense. In anti-Semite, meaning anti-Judaism. Mm. Uh, there was, of course, we had our Hamans, we had a lot of other things. Mm. But none of them were interested in destroying Judaism as the religion, but leaving mm. the Jewish people intact. Hanukkah was very unique. that He wanted to just absolutely ban Judaism, and it was a revolt. To this day, shocks me how we were able to have a band of just a few hundred men under the uh, the uh, in this family, the five sons of Matasio were able to mm. defeat the Greek Empire, and which would lead to a one hundred year period mm. of relative of of com- virtual complete autonomy from sixty from one sixty four BC to 66 CE when Pompeii entered Jerusalem, I mean, excuse me, 66 BCE, that's 100 years that the Jewish Jewish state was an independent state. In every other part of the Second Temple period, the Jewish, the state of Israel was a vassal state of of a larger empire. Let me just jump back a little bit because you've mentioned a couple of times um, the replica of the relief of the Ark of Titus, and we see that uh, in in a in a in its full scale. I do believe at the Diaspora Museum we saw it there, and it's um, the Diaspora Museum, of course, is at the Tel Aviv University. Uh, that's one of the first things that you that uh, that you take uh, in that's on what arrival. You see immediately, yeah. Now, one of the interesting things about that, and uh, we should talk about this because it is, after all, as I mentioned, Hanukkah. The uh, on that relief, you see them carrying away the uh, the menorah, right? Right. Yeah. It's a cont- and this is very important. It is contemporaneous, which means this is like a photograph, because. To, in fact, Josephus describes watching this thing, looking at it. Mm-hmm. Josephus was a Jew, and uh, and what was interesting about him is he worked for the Romans, and he was torn because, in a way, he was writing for the Romans. His interest, he describes, as being one that the Jews shouldn't rebel against Rome, but rather should work with Rome. And many Jews, of course, considered him a traitor, but he mm-hmm. didn't. And this remains a... But he describes his heart was just ripped out. As the mm-hmm. Romans saw this arch displayed, they were so filled, they were filled with pride, and his just heart was just broken. And there, yeah, you see the menorah there, but that's a photograph. That means... Because that's contemporaneous. So let's say the Ark was, was built in 82 by mm-hmm. the predecessor of Titus, really yeah. very almost immediately after his death. I think he died, what did he die, in 80 or 79? So immediately after his death, so this this Ark was, was created, and it's a three-dimensional relief mm. that was produced in the southern part of city of Rome by eyewitnesses. That's what's mm-hmm. very important. This wasn't built 200 la- years later. This was built by the very people who saw it happen. Now, the, the interesting thing I find about this is that uh, the details of the menorah in this relief is, is uh, it's very easy to see. It is quite detailed. 
And I am to assume, and maybe you can clarify this for me, that from that, the recreation that we see uh, as one is walking down from the, from the Jewish quarter down towards the hotel, uh, we pass a, uh, a life-size uh, menorah in a, in a Perspex casing there, and a big is a glass casing, I'm not sure, but very much reminiscent of the one that we see in the relief. Uh, is it based on that one? I, I don't think it's based on that. I think it's based on a tradition in other drawings. Uh, but certainly, I mean, we do have details in the Torah. We have extensive details in Talmudic literature. So okay. I, I think that, uh, you know, but... Uh, so, well, I, now the reason why I ask, because uh, just reading uh, lately about uh, uh, Hanukkah, I came across something that I didn't know before. I'm sure you find it very familiar, but... Um, it, this is that that was uh, CE seventy when the Romans sacked the the temple uh, and destroyed it. But that wasn't the first time that the temple was plundered. The the temple was plundered uh, by Antiochus Epiphanes as well. And we read in First uh, Maccabees chapter one verse twenty three says, and he he proudly entered into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar and the candlestick of light and all the vessels thereof and the table and the and the of proposition and the pouring vessels and the vials and the little mortars of gold, the veil and the crown and the gold ornaments that were before the temple and he broke them all in pieces. Uh, now, I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that it had, had been, uh, the interior had been destroyed, all the furnishings of the temple had been destroyed and uh, continues saying that, that after the cleansing, uh, the Judah Maccabee, they, they, they were victorious over um, uh, Antiochus. And after the cleansing, a new one was made by Judah Maccabee. And, and they made a new one, uh, quite a number of the holy uh, furnishings they replaced. And uh, we read about that in, uh, in 1 Maccabees chapter 4, verses 49 to 50. Now, what, what popped into my head, Tobia is that many of the older uh, depictions of the menorah that we see in uh, stonework seems to show a, a like a tripod menorah. Uh, but the one that we see in, uh, in the replica near the hotel there today and the one that we see in Titus's Ark represents something a bit more grand, a little bit more detailed. Is this the difference between perhaps uh, what was originally uh, made and what uh, Judah Maccabee had, had replaced? It seems that the you know what you see typically is kind of the is what was when you see the menorahs that are kind of sketched into the mm-hmm. size of stone that was a that wasn't they weren't interested in replicating something that was accurate but rather that became sort of the graffiti of the menorah it was something a lot easier to to um, cut out of stone than it was. That means where you don't have the circular arms that lead to each lamp, but each mm-hmm. one's just one quick chisel stripe across. So I, I've heard some people suggest that maybe the menorah looked that way. That's not accurate at all. Um, but that was became sort of the chisel sketch. Yeah. Titus's Ark was literally... And and for many centuries, Jews were not allowed to walk under that ark. That was important too. It's a, to the to the Jewish people, the ark is is a, absolutely ghastly. And to mm. the Romans, it's it was that this is victory. Mm. Um, well, now now let me just go back. Then, in in any case, uh, it was the 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 original 
menorah was destroyed and it was remade by the Maccabees uh, and, and put back into the temple. And uh, so there is the fate of the original. Do we know or do you have an opinion as to the fate of the one that was taken and depicted on, uh, on the Ark of Titus? I think that's the worst kept secret in the world. <laughs> we, we don't. I mean, we don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is that was right. hidden at the end of the first temple period. But, uh, I mean, this was very valuable. Of course, it was taken mm. to Rome. And, of course, it's in... Um, it, it's held by the Catholic Church. So you reckon um, it's in the Vatican? It has to be. What would you do with that? Or would you like give it away to the Salvation Army? No. I mean, that's like <laughs> like the most valuable thing possible. So of course you would keep that. Of course you would. I mean, that's I don't know anyone who would like. Why would they give it to somebody else? Unless I mean, the Vatican was ransacked at times. Uh, that's possible, but uh, otherwise they would maintain it and keep. It certainly that's where it was taken. The right. only possibility is the Vatican was ransacked over the centuries, right. and maybe someone took it from them. That's hard to say, but certainly that's where it was kept. I mean, because because the difference is is that he just smashed everything. There's this grandest display of destruction. However, uh, what we see uh, the, the Romans doing is taking it with them as spoil, uh, so much so that, that they have, uh, as you say, eyewitnesses that, that really got to check this stuff out and put it in the relief on the Ark of Titus. These were, these were trophies, right? Yes. This is a, there's, a very, there's a grand difference between Antiochus Epiphanes and the Romans. The Romans were not anti-Semites or anti-Jewish in in really in any sense, they were enraged by what started out as a civil war among Jews, mm-hmm. and then the, they were enraged in, in a war that lasted for three years. We have a very clear, transparent record of the Roman attitude toward Jews and Judaism, which was um, they, they considered Judaism strange, unusual. If you look, they remarked frequently, this was a, a refrain of the Romans, they said, you know, your temple in Jerusalem could is exquisite, it's magnificent, we would covet such a beautiful temple to our mm-hmm. gods, the only thing is missing is all the fun stuff, and that's not exactly their words. But like you just you like missing the whole purpose of a temple is where are your statues, where are your images. But the Jews, to give you a sense of how much how much the Romans were not interested in destroying Judaism, they just wanted the Jews to to support the empire. Mm-hmm. Is that there was a law in the Roman Empire that. You know, every city had different temples to different gods. So you went to one city, you had a temple to this god, and then in another province, you had another temple to another god. You were not allowed to send your money from... You had to support the gods of your community, of your town. But in the Roman Empire, I'm talking prior to 66, prior to this period, Jews were completely exempt from this. Jews were allowed to send their money to uh, Jerusalem. Jews of Rome were able to send their money to the temple because this was the only temple the Jews had, and that was in Jerusalem. Mm. Judaism was an officially recognized religion of the Roman Empire because they they were they were very important. 
impressed with one thing about the Jews, and that is the antiquity. They mm, knew the antiquity that, and the yes, longevity of their. We've region. been yeah. there forever, and right. Alexander the Great honored the Jewish people. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, Alexander the Great was like the you know I don't know what. I mean, he was like he he was the singular most important figure in Western civilization. Period, and no historian would disagree with that. Mm-hmm. And the fact, so therefore, and Alexander the Great, incidentally would come into the land of Israel. He came through Jaffa port, and so he conquered Jaffa port, which we saw the same day. Interesting. So therefore, the Jews were held in very high esteem. Christians were not. Christians were not off the hook of bringing sacrifices to the to the gods of Rome because they weren't Jews anymore. And this was a big dilemma for Christians, but Jews were exempt from this. The Romans, the Romans were not trying to destroy Judaism. It was a war and the Jews uh, were fighting back. They wanted their independence. The Romans said, "Just, just pay your, pay your, you know, your taxes. Just don't, don't mess with the empire." They were very itchy about the empire. They didn't. Mm. But Jews were Christians. Were you know the first record we have of any non-Christian? I mean, the Josephus stuff is 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 not authentic of the reference to Jesus. That stuff is put in later. But the first authentic reference by a non-Christian to Christianity is Pliny, who was a governor in Turkey, who describes the fact that Christians were gathering illegally for prayer. The Christians were not allowed to because they were not an officially recognized religion of the empire. No, because they, they sprouted up out of nowhere and they were seen by the Romans as a, as a cult, something that just sprouted up out of nowhere. It has no uh, antiquity to it. It's just something that someone has recently made up and we don't have any patience it for it. It was exactly the way the Mormons were looked upon at the end of the 19th century. Right. It was an absolute cult as a weird group that broke away from... Uh, Christianity, and that's how it was seen. And therefore, they were not entitled to the, exam- to the special status of the Jewish people. So, you know, this is, I mean, in truth, the destruction of the Second Temple, like the destruction of the First Temple, in a way, didn't have to happen. And Jeremiah is very clear also that the First Temple didn't have to be destroyed. And he says it openly in chapter 25. They mm-hmm. only have 70 years. Calm down, repent, don't fight. This, this, it's so powerful. This museum that we went through, the Museum of Diaspora, is so powerful because there's so there's such there's so many mixed feelings. You have the mm-hmm. the relief of the of the the church and the synagogue that's very famous, mm-hmm. and you have you and then you have the great thinkers the of of history who tried to figure out how to stop anti-Semitism. The reform movements attempt at this with Moses Mendelssohn. And and those who would follow as opposed to the yeah Zionist again movement. trying to find solutions to the problem of assimilation. They're all, this is a very interesting thing. What do you do to stop the Germans, for example, from hating us? And there were two real solutions to how we how do we address it. And they were opposite solutions. One solution was the solution of the reform movement to say that look, we're not. We're not looking to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. We're devout. We are loyal German citizens because they felt that the reason they were 
hated is because they weren't weren't loyal to Germany. They're just waiting for a Messiah to take the whisk them away and bring them to Jerusalem. So they felt they needed to to compromise. Yeah, so they changed the name of the synagogues to temples. Mm -hmm. No Orthodox synagogue is called a temple, but the form of a change called temple, they uh, removed from the prayer books references to the coming of the Messiah and stripped that core belief from the Jewish faith. And what they and they openly said that um, you know Germany is our is our homeland. Uh, mm-hmm. Berlin is our Jerusalem. You can read that in the the writings of the Reform Movement as it was developing in their in the Pittsburgh platform. They they discussed this. To us now, we look back and it grades in our ears. But to them, they presume if we take the nationhood out of of Judaism and just preserve the religious element, so then, then why should we be treated differently mm. than a, a Lutheran nice. who's German or a Catholic, Roman Catholic who's German? Mm. We're Jewish, you know, we're, we're Germans who happen to be Jewish. Mm. Of course, it, this would, you know, would fail sh- shockingly, and we almost would see a the prophecy of Ezekiel chapter 20, I think it's verse 32, where Ezekiel says, if you ever try to pull a stunt like this, I'm paraphrasing, let us be like the other nations of the world, then I will call you out to the wilderness. Very, very severe. Mm. You had the Zionist movement who had the exact opposite approach. This is all just so powerfully displayed in the, in the museum, the Diaspora Museum. Mm. The Zionist movement said, no, they, you know, its founders were by and large, completely irreligious Jews, like Herzl, who was a, yeah. a journalist who observed the Dreyfus affair, it moved him deeply, and they they concluded that, no, the reason we're hated is because, you know, every people, every 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 person has a nation, uh, but, you know, even if... Um, you know, an Italian is living in 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 Vienna, but he has Italy. The Jew has no made no land of their own, no country of their own. Uh, the God part wasn't important. It's the nation part that was vital. So we have two different responses. Yeah, isn't that course, interesting? Yeah. yeah. But then you have what moves in later is that soon after the Mizrahi movement, which is an Orthodox Zionist movement, and then the great religious Zionists are there, the great Rabbi Rabbi Cook, the first chief rabbi of Israel, and it's that which just works perfectly. That mm-hmm. means it's bringing that together, both faith and nation, and together with the land, produces the 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 most dynamic, ecstatic expression of of mm-hmm. Judaism today, and that's the religious Zionism. That uh, that's all over the land of Israel and growing, and it's very very powerful. So that's all the Ask Museum tracing life of Jews in Yemen who never encountered Christianity, mm. to the Jews of Europe who didn't realize what was coming. Mm. Uh, I f- what would what did you find most moving about the museum? I guess uh, one of the things that that struck me, and I, I've been there, I guess, three times. Um, one of the things I found interesting, if I can say, in addition to what we've just been discussing, would be the uh, the dual statues of ecclesia and synagogue. And it took me uh, a little bit of study afterwards to find out exactly what the significance of these were, because it's not a one-off. It's something that appears 
uh, throughout history, it repeats uh, as an anti-Semitic uh, propaganda, if you like, uh, two statues, two women, one carrying a, a cross in her hand, looking up with a crown quite victorious and a cup in the other hand, and uh, another one blindfolded and looking down and rather ashamed, uh, if you like, and I think holding a book of law in her hand, if, if that's what it is. What, what can you tell us a little bit about Ecclesia and Synagogue, Tobia? So, right, you have two women, and both of them are, uh, the, the intent is that they should be attractive. That means, but the one woman that represents the synagogue, that represents Judaism, is blinded, as you see her eyes, with a veil over her eyes, um, mm-hmm. reflecting Second Corinthians chapter right, chapter yeah. three, um, with the staff that was once whole but now broken. So you see it, you know. Oh, so it is. That's right. Oh yes, yes. So the the staff of the church is straight, and the staff of the Jewish people was once whole, but now it is broken. Mm. And that's very important. The woman who represents the synagogue is interesting in that she she's you can see that she was once attractive but now she is just tilting her head away and looking down in shame mm-hmm. and looking away as the woman representing the church holding the staff of the cross in her hand victorious victorious she's looking and almost beckoning the synagogue to return back. It's mm. so powerful. But mm. this is the way people thought. I mean, I just, you know, if, if you're in America or in, in, in Australia, you're like, really? This is really the way? This cause you, But this is medieval. This is the way the church follows all, I mean, envisioned the Jewish people, the people who could have accepted Jesus but rejected him and were blind to him and deliberately blind to him as the church beckons the Jew to uh, accept the the chalice and the salvation, but the Jew is completely blind and Mm. it was once attractive but has fallen away from God's grace. So the contrast of the two is very powerful. They have the uh, they have that uh, have that the, the Aspen Museum, mm. and you see them cyrus. So it doesn't see. It's not the later caricature of the Jew who is ugly and unattractive with a big nose. It's not at all. No. It, it really is very theological in that the woman representing the synagogue is attractive, but her here is not out and beautiful as the woman who represents the church. But it it once was. She Mm. was once beautiful, but she has lost her covenant because of the blindness of her eyes. And now she looks down and away from the church Mm. that Mm. beckons her. So it's so... It is powerful. I mean, as you say, it's powerful, and it's uh, it's an image that is used as Christian propaganda against uh, the synagogue, against the Jews, over the centuries, not just in uh, in the statues, not in that, not just in that form, but in uh, pictures as well, uh, found in in various books and whatever posters that were that might have been made, uh, it pops up over and over again uh, throughout Europe. You know, the interesting thing is that if you you study the patristics, the writings of the church fathers, so many of them couldn't stand each other. <laughs> they would call each other. The, but the one thing they all that you find in all of their writings 
is the, is this image that the, the that Jerusalem was destroyed because of the Jews' unbelief and they killed God? Uh, we actually have the uh, the read, we've discovered the writings of Melito. I mean, this is second century uh, Justin. I mean, Justin refused to quote Paul, but he. This is exactly where he spoke about the Jews, and we can go to Tertullian. Then we can go to the third century to Origen, and then we can go to Eusebius in the fourth century. We can go to Jerome in the fifth mm. century, and, and Augustine. They. This is exactly as they all thought. It. What the Jews were absolutely completely blind. They had turned their back on. On Jesus and the willfully blind, and that's a very key point. Like you might ask the question, well, why there were other people who were not Christians? Why didn't they pick on them? So, in the Christian, the Christian thought was that the Jews deep down knew the truth, but rejected Jesus anyway. And therefore, the Jews were absolutely demonic, and that's a key difference between the way the Church looked at the Jewish unbelief and let's say the the the, the Zoroastrians. So. Mm-hmm. To them, Zoroastrians just never heard it. You know, to them, it wasn't relevant. But the Jews deep down knew the truth and rejected Jesus anyway. And we see this, believe me, in a way, Augustine was right. Jerome was right. They weren't crazy. They were very intelligent. They were looking at the New Testament and seeing, for instance, the priests who, who the Roman soldiers come to and say that Jesus rose and say, say that you fell asleep and take this money and go, mm. that means that they knew. Mm. That means, I, I, you know, when I was younger, I would, um, I would hate Luther and Calvin because, you know, I'd read all their literature and I would, just, I would just despise them for how could you say such horrible things about my people. The, my own personal transformation was, no, the church did this to Luther. Luther was correct. He was reading this literature on, in an honest, straightforward way, meaning reading the canonical literature of the New Testament, drawing the only conclusion that the, that the Jews were absolutely um, the enemies of God. It's a, it's a different view, but in reality, they were looking at the New Testament, and that's the only the only conclusion you could draw. I've had this conversation with many people mm-hmm. uh, who were Christians, and I can even ask you this question. I've asked many people who were Christians, and but were Christian Zionists, and that loved Jews as mm-hmm. a Christian, mm-hmm. and I asked them, like, how did you deal with, at the time, these anti-Jewish remarks all over the New Testament. How mm. did you process it? Because you have to, it's very clear that re, they have to engineer this in a way it doesn't mean what it looks like. Uh, for me, I can tell you that for me, I didn't appreciate how anti-Semitic the New Testament was until I had an awakening, if you like. And, uh, and all of a sudden, uh, I encountered vicious anti-Semitism in the church and, uh, and based on uh, the, the passages that you're talking about. Yeah. So in, a way the, the, so, in a way, you know, Luther could have been a great man, but mm-hmm. he was poisoned by the New Testament, and Luther was reading it honestly. This was an honest, straightforward reading. Yeah. I mean, look what Paul says. Paul, Paul says this. This is, 
in the earliest writing, surviving Christian writing ever, First, first Thessalonians. Thessalonians, he yeah. says that the Jews were absolutely enemies of God. They did everything possible to prevent us from, from preaching the gospel of the Gentiles. They were completely culpable for killing Jesus, completely. Res- they were the ones who killed our Lord Jesus Christ and their own prophets. Therefore, they are hideous to all mankind in First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. Well, what is someone supposed to do if they mm. read that? So, if, even the nicer Christians, like Spurgeon, occasionally would go off on a rant on the mm-hmm. Jews in his famous uh, preachings. And the reason is, they're just reading this and going, okay, you know, so th- that's really, Christianity was really born right there in Mm. in anti-Semitism. And that's the reason why, if you lived, and this takes us back to the museum. You know, I was born 15 years after the Holocaust. So it was, you know, how did you figure out where would you live during World War II Mm. where you could escape this as a Jew? And if someone would come to me in 1933 and say, ask me, look, Hitler just rose to power. He wants to wipe out the Jews. Uh, he's made it clear in Mein Kampf. There's no secret there. Where should I live? Where should I go that I can be safe? I would say to him, if you want one guiding, uh, go to a place where people don't believe in Jesus. And yeah, right. you'd be safe. Mm. And if you were, if you did make your way to Japan, who were allies of the Nazis, of the Germans, mm. you were safe. If you made it to Shanghai, they didn't believe in Jesus in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. You were fine. You would do if you can make it to you know some tribe in Swaziland, whatever what today mm. is. You were doing fine. They couldn't care. They didn't know what you were and who you were. It was this literature that poisoned the mind right. of the European because we were the yeah. we were the Christ killers, yeah. and therefore we were chased out or we were persecuted. Let me. Uh, put something to you, Tobia, because in uh, while we're talking about this, this year, uh, St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia commissioned a large sculpture by Joshua Kaufman uh, showing Ecclesia and Synagogue sitting together. Both of them have a, uh, a crown, and it's entitled, by the way, instead of Ecclesia and Synagogue, it's entitled Synagogue and Ecclesia in Our Time. And it has both of them sitting down together, looking at each other's, uh, one's holding a Torah scroll, the other is holding, a, holding the book, uh, I suppose the New Testament. They're looking at each other's uh, sacred texts, and it even looks like they're learning from each other, having a Bible study, if you will. Uh, so if you're in this, even this year, September this year, uh, this sculpture was blessed by none other than Pope Francis uh, at the university. What does this suggest to you, and 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 what can we take from that in regards to the time of year that we're in? Well, that, 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 this is an American phenomenon. We, I don't think you would encounter something, an effort like this in Europe. Uh, America sees its, certainly the founding fathers had an affection for Jews, and especially the Hebrew language which by some measure could have been adopted as the official language of the United States. It it was a passing thought. But in the United States, there was a Pew survey that was done that uh, found that Judaism was the most admired religion in the United States. And uh, so therefore, this, of course, doesn't reflect 
the New Testament. There's nothing Christian mm. about that. I mean, Judaism is very highly, I mean, getting away from the crazies, Judaism is a highly admired faith in the United States. Mm. And, um, I mean, America... So this, is, this is an attempt of, of, of the states to say, you know, we're bigger than that. We, we reject that, that whole oh, ecclesia synagogue. And, and, and we'd like to depict them as partners... Right, and, and that's not and that's not Vatican II. Vatican, you know, Vatican II is still, you know, even the Nostra Ated, you know, still encourages that we have to bring Christ, the message of Jesus, to the Jews, you know. But it refers to the anti-Semitism as one that's odious and that we reject it and their elder brother and so on. But this is really one of equality, that we are sitting side by side and really, it's a way of saying we, this is, we're really quite different here. Um, now, now, just going back to the Maccabees and going back to uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, there was no. I mean, were there Jews that were willing to collaborate and to uh, and to be uh, and, and willing to mix it up, if you like, uh, and accept a bit of Hellenism and just get on with the job? Were there such? I mean, yes. I not only were there such, they really were. They started the whole thing. There were Jews who were in Egypt who were egging on Antiochus Epiphanes to do this. They were completely Hellenized Jews who were really quite unhappy with the with the with Pharisaic or traditional Judaism. Mm -hmm. And it really began in many ways as a civil war and and Antiochus was egged on by you know, by Jews who is complete supporters, very much the way Jews today are supporters of Obama, mm -hmm. as he, as Kerry is saying that Israel is going to become a binational state. Jews are supporting him. I mean, it's just mind blowing. But that, yes. oh yeah, there was a Tobias family from Egypt that really was egging on Antiochus Epiphanes the Fourth to um, to replace the the Ptolemaic Empire that mm -hmm. ruled there and to wipe out traditional Judaism. He very much like Obama had his supporters among Jews who were completely Hellenized, who were completely divorced from um, from the Jewish faith. It's This story happens frequently. Maimonides mm -hmm. even described sometimes when he wanted to discuss the differences that he felt with Islam, but he said, I can't really talk because of... You know, Jews who were around me. Uh, so, yeah, there were Jews who were completely Hellenized. As the communist Jews, those are the ones that the Jews, uh, the religious Jews in Russia were absolutely petrified of, of course. This is not a new phenomenon. This always was. In the time of Hanukkah, you had Jews who were absolutely completely Hellenized and completely supported and encouraged Antiochus to come in to do this. Now, Antiochus, of course, did it with great zeal and excitement for a whole multitude of reasons, but ultimately he was a fantastic anti-Semite. He despised the Jews, so they found a person in whom they could destroy Judaism, but Jews were behind it 
in exactly the same way today, the leading voices against the state of Israel very frequently are not. Yeah, you have the foreign minister of Sweden who makes an idiot out of herself every day. You know, but she she does it stupid. She's not dangerous because she says Israel shouldn't be. You know, they're, they're going stabbing people in the neck in Israel, and she's in. And then they're, they're shooting and killing these terrorists, hmm. and she's going, you know, you're having, you know, extrajudicial executions. I mean, she's yeah. a whack job. She's, I couldn't believe that. I, I, really. I tell you, I, <laughs> I don't even, you just read it and go, wow, you know. <laughs> but the Jews are the ones who are, I mean, the radical left and the Jews, these are the ones who are really egging it on. They would, would when when Biden made a speech like what was it a month ago, the, at the Reformers Biannual Conference, and he was slamming away at Israel, slamming away at uh, a, a, a cabinet minister's selection, and he was given standing ovations by the left. They, yeah. these are all Jews who are on the left. It's, it's, rabbis, it's amazing, human so rights, this, who this are civil guys? unrest. Between Jewish people uh, that, that you're talking about today, so was the case in uh, CE 70 uh, that caused the destruction of the well, temple. So it was the case in uh, the time of uh, Judah Maccabee and, and Jews trying to uh, assimilate. It's a story that I think is worth reminding ourselves of and studying, uh, particularly at this time of year. That's when you study Jewish history. One of the things that is most shocking is nothing changes at all. It's all it's the same thing. We it's the same personalities that emerge in every generation. Um, that some Otto Wittenberg, the he was one of the people who forged the ideas that would be very important to the Nazi movement. He was a, he was a Jew, ultimately converted to Christianity, but couldn't get rid of the Judaism in, in him, and then blew his brains out. Mm. I mean, these were all Jews. So one of the things that's very obvious is that history, the technology may be different. We may not need an outhouse today, and we get into a car instead of mm. getting into a chariot or a horse, mm. but the human character remains the same. It's the same. Yeah, that no, nothing has changed. When I when I look at the events and the sides are still the same. Oh, yeah. the sides are still the same. Yeah, absolutely. So Hanukkah was in in ways of course began as a civil war between the Jewish people and and then the Antiochus steps in mm. and he very happily they found a a perfect guy who was a uh, who had a pastor right, who had, who, had a, who had exactly the kind of disposition to carry this out. But he did it with great glee. But Jews were on his side completely, absolutely. Fascinating stuff. This uh, is the kind of conversation that a visit to the Diaspora Museum uh, conjures up. There's so much to, to take in and to discuss afterwards. We'll definitely be doing it again uh, next year at the uh, Tanakh Tour 2016 uh, this coming November. People can sign up for that. Uh, in fact, if you sign up for that this year, and we've only got, what, three weeks left of the Roman year at least, that uh, you'll save yourself 5%. I can't wait to do it again, Toby, and I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Yeah, I'm very excited about it. I mean, very excited. It's very, very powerful, the DAS Museum. That's how it was all launched. And then from there, we began to walk through the land of Israel. It's very, That's right. very, very we headed After that, the, the following day, we headed north. We, we may talk about uh, a little bit about that next week. 
But uh, until then, dear listeners, have a wonderful Hanukkah. Thank you, Tobia of OutreachJudaism.org. Let's get biblical. Why doesn't Judaism accept the Christian Messiah? That is the book. If you haven't got it, get it. You can get it there at his website. Also, you'll find him on TobiaSinger.tv, where all his videos are. Thank you, my friends. Speak to you next week. Always a joy. Shalom.